Well, good morning, Chapel Roswell. It's so good to be in worship with each and every one of you this morning as we continue through that season known as Advent, that season that leads up to Christmas. For the last several weeks, each week, we light one of our Advent candles. We'll do that now before we start. Next week, we will light our fourth and final Advent candle, and then we will light the Christ candle, which is a big candle that's not yet in the center of our wreath yet. Okay, so I'm doing this right, I think. You know, in some countries, um, they like to have their candles in Braille. And I thought that that might be a neat touch for where we're going this morning. Now, I'll, I'll work on that. I promise we'll, we'll get it figured out. There was a 91-year-old woman. Bless her heart. She lived in Georgia. She had 12 great-great-grandchildren. Can you imagine that? 12 great-great-grandchildren. All of them lived within the southeastern United States. The farthest one out was, uh, I think, Mississippi. The closest one in was about 30 minutes from her home in Decatur. But they were scattered, scattered all throughout the southeast. Now, the great-grandmother had a hard time getting out and buying individual presents for 12 different grandchildren of 12 different ages was kind of tough to do. So this year, she decided she was going to do something different. She purchased some Christmas cards. On the cards, there was a beautiful piece of artwork, a famous author, a famous uh, artist, I guess, really. He drew a beautiful nativity scene, and right under the nativity scene, it said, Unto us a child is born. This beautiful card was opened up, and on the inside, she took out her checkbook, and she wrote 12 very, very generous, I mean incredibly, very, very incredibly generous checks, put a check in each one, and then she simply signed at the bottom, buy your own gifts, love Nana, that's what they called her. So that was the story. But one day, long after Christmas, she was cleaning up her holiday stuff. She was re-looking at some of the Christmas cards that she had received in the mail, not sure if she wanted to keep them or toss them or throw them away, but there she found underneath this big box of stuff, all of these letters, this clutter on her desk underneath, these checks that she meant to send out in those cards. You see, those cards that said, go buy your own present, <laughs> there was no money to go with them. Some of you are onto something with this idea, too. I can tell. Now, you see, she had accidentally forgotten to put that check in that Christmas card. She certainly didn't mean to make a mistake out of the gift she sent. And as we focus on Jesus as the greatest gift of them all, we certainly know that there are no mistakes. The fact that God sent Christ into this world for you and for me to bring about hope and peace and joy and love, forgiveness, fulfillment. This morning we continue with our series entitled Follow because we, we look up at the beautiful star and we follow that. We're called to follow. To follow means not only are you turning towards something, but the word follow is an action word. It means it's in continuous action. It means if I turn to the star, that's one thing. But to follow, you see, yet that's yet another thing. Am I willing to follow the star? 
am I willing to allow the star to lead me to take me where it will take me to go? Now, as I've said each week, each of us, uh, we all make mistakes at times about the direction or the decision or the, the area of life in which we're headed. But, but God offers us, God offers us the chance to follow not only something, but God gives us the chance to follow someone. Are we willing to do that? The word follow, like I said, is an action word. So when we leave this place, when we leave this house of worship this morning and you're going back to home or you're going to work or you're getting ready for school tomorrow or you've got a Christmas party, are we going to, to let God pour into us those things that he wants to pour out of us onto those folks who are in and around us? In Scripture, the Old Testament prophets, they use the image of light coming into the midst of the darkness. You can see a candle as it's illuminated starting to, 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 to become brighter and brighter and brighter as the flame gets a little bit bigger and bigger and bigger. We see the light from that beautiful star, and it points the way to a Christ-like life that God wants you to have, that God wants me to live out, a life in which each of us is called to place our full trust and our faith and our peace, not in ourselves, okay, not in things of this world. Those things will rust and fall away but to place our trust and our faith and our peace in only one thing, and that thing is Christ. Now, for the past couple of weeks, I've been preaching from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. You've heard me say it before. Isaiah was writing about 730 years before Jesus would be born. He was a prophet who was warning the people, look, you guys have wandered from where God wants you to be. As a result, you've been defeated in battle. You've been driven from your homeland. You've been exiled. Your families have been split apart. Many of your relatives have been killed or captive. And so now, okay, you got to listen to me, the prophet, because I have some good news. It actually is not the, the doldrums that you think. This is stuff about hope. This is stuff about peace. This is stuff about the light coming into the darkness. So 730 years before Jesus came, Isaiah the prophet said something amazing was going to happen. The Messiah, the anointed one, is going to come in this world. Isaiah is mentioned, in fact, more times in the New Testament than any other Old Testament prophet. Jesus quotes from Isaiah more than he does any other Old Testament prophet. So right there, we know that there's some value to what we hear, some value from what we read. Isaiah was urging the people to hold out hope for the one, one true God, for the one whom God would send. Isaiah was urging the people to hold out hope because God was not dead. God is going to send something that is going to not only change the world, not only enhance the world, not only make the world a little bit better, but would transform the world and the lives of those who live in it. Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament over 65 times, like I said, far more than any Old Testament, other Old Testament prophet, that in the midst of defeat and shame and darkness and dejection, Jesus was born into a world to bring about light and hope and strength and mercy and peace. How did God respond? Well, through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord was foretelling of the good news that would one day come. Let's read together Isaiah 9, 6. I'd like you guys to read these with me, okay? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. Well done, guys. The Jewish people were waiting for a God who would come and defeat their mortal enemies, the Roman Empire, or those who would restore power and might to their once mighty nation. And yet God sent into, the, into this world uh, not someone in the form of a mighty warrior, but rather someone in the form of a seemingly helpless tiny baby born to a poor teenaged mother in a seemingly insignificant little village north of where all the action took place. Not only that, but the prophet says the government will rest upon his shoulders. Well, clearly they're not talking about a worldly government or a Congress or Senate or something like that. In John 38, Jesus would later go on to say, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. Maybe we think of government in less than a positive light. Maybe we like the person in office or we don't like the person in office. But the truth is, in Isaiah's day, Judah's leaders, they were incompetent in governing the people. But we're told that the Messiah, according to Isaiah, will govern fairly and will govern properly. A better Hebrew translation, instead of saying that he will be on the, the government's shoulders, it really should be dominion or authority or supremacy. Full dominion is on the shoulders of Jesus, and what powerful and what tender shoulders those are. Shoulders that tend to offer strength to those who are weak and sick. Shoulders that bear burdens. Shoulders that picked up a cross and carried it on someone else's behalf. Shoulders that leaned forward to pick up a fallen one. Strong shoulders that we can hide behind as he battles and defeats our enemies. Shoulders to lay our head upon when our heart breaks or aches. Shoulders that embrace us tenderly when we say that we have to get going. We've been moving our way through our season known as Advent, that season of anticipation. The word Advent also means adventure, that adventure that awaits us as we move towards Christmas Day, a time of preparation, a time of waiting, a time of anticipation, but also a time of waiting. The Israelites had to wait for the Messiah to come into this world, to break through the darkness, to break through the pain, to break through the hopelessness, to break through the fear. And so Advent now is a time in which we prepare our hearts and our lives for the birth of Jesus and the transformation that God wants to bring about because of the work that Christ is doing in your life and your life and your life and your life and my life. Very often it's interesting as we talk about Christmas becoming too secular, we long for the good old days, but what were the good old days really like? For example, how did the early Americans, how did the early colonists celebrate Christmas? The truth is they didn't. The early colonists were Puritans who refused to celebrate Christmas because doing so wasn't specifically mandated in Scripture. And while Europeans focused on Christmas as a religious holiday, the colonists who came from that home country, they wanted to leave a lot of their customs and traditions behind, so they just left it behind and they came and they didn't celebrate Christmas at all. The word holiday, I know people say, you know, we shouldn't say holiday, we should say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holiday. Well, the word holiday literally comes from the word Holy Day. So when we say Happy Holiday, we're saying Happy Holy Day to someone. The colonial leaders went as far as to actually outlaw Christian. In parts of Boston, you could be arrested and jailed 
for celebrating Christmas. In fact, even after the creation of the United States, December 25th was just another day. People would go to work, the government would be on the job, the kids would be in school. Take a guess. Put on your thinking caps this morning. Take a guess. What was the first state in the Union to officially declare Christmas a national holiday, or at least a holiday in their state? Anybody want to guess? Shout it out. Virginia? I haven't heard it yet. Anybody take a guess? I heard a lot of Georgia. It's not Georgia. It's close to Georgia. Alabama. Alabama. Who would have thunk it? Alabama was the first state to make Christmas an officially recognized holiday, and that wasn't until 1836. But to folks in New England, they remained Scrooge-like, refusing to focus on Christmas as anything out of the ordinary, but the time would change. Christmas Day was formally declared a federal holiday by President Ulysses S. Grant in 1870. Churches would have these big high steepled bells that would ring on sacred occasions. And so on Christmas Day, the, the bells would ring, proclaiming the sacredness of the day to, to all around. Anyone who could hear them, you knew this day was something special. Even before Christmas was a national holiday, the churches would, would ring their bells on Christmas Day, declaring the fact that this was something special. I want to show you a picture of a guy, and tell me if you know who he is. Who is this guy? Think of your American lit class. Could it possibly be Henry Wadsworth Longfellow? I hope so, because that's who it is. Yeah, that's, that's Wadsworth Longfellow. He was the most well-known poet of his day, and he was regarded as one of the best American writers ever. He was such an admired figure in the United States that during his 70th birthday, there were parties being thrown all around the country. It was like a national holiday with parades and picnics and readings of his poetry at celebrations across the country. And in 1864, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow sat down and he penned what would become known, a poem known as Christmas Bells. You and I now know the hymn as I Hear the Bells on Christmas Day. I heard the bells on Christmas Day Their old familiar carols play And wild and sweet their songs repeat Of peace on earth, goodwill to men And the bells are ringing In my heart they're singing In my heart I hear them on earth, goodwill to men. During the peak of his popularity, 
Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote the song while in the midst of great pain. You see, he was at the peak of his career. Things could not get any better in terms of his writing. But on April 12th of 1861, something happened that really traumatized him. He saw the beloved nation that he adored fractured apart because of the Civil War. Later that same year, his wife was in their daughter's bedroom when a small candle fell onto the floor. The fire spread throughout the house, and his wife was killed. Henry tried desperately to save his beloved wife, but he got so close that, that his face became engulfed with the flames. He was hospitalized, and he was unable even to go to her funeral. In fact, the fact that he has this long beard is just another indication, another reminder to him about that traumatic fire. He has to wear that because he can't shave it because of the poor condition of the skin underneath. Meanwhile, his teenage son, Charles, had run away from home. He had joined the Union Army, and he was severely crippled and wounded in action. Longfellow was heartbroken. He was crushed. He was hurt. And the first Christmas after his wife's death, Longfellow wrote, How inexpressibly sad are all the holidays. I can make no record of these days. Better leave them wrapped in silence. Perhaps someday God will give me peace. Longfellow's journal entry for December 25th, 1862, the following year, he writes, Merry Christmas, they say, but that still is no more for me. Still hurting a couple years later from the loss of his wife and the tragedy involving his son, plus the destruction he saw with the raging Civil War, he sat down and he penned these words. They would become the second stanza of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. He talks about the peace on earth and the goodwill toward men, but here he writes, no, in despair, in despair, I bow my head because there is no peace on earth. I say, for hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But it's in the midst of that darkness that the light becomes more and more evident. During the season of Advent, each week we light a candle. That candle overtakes the darkness around it. Maybe you feel like you're going through a tough season right now, a dark season or maybe a difficult day. But through the birth of Jesus Christ, God reveals himself in the form of a tiny baby, bringing about hope, peace, and joy. Last week, we looked at hope. My goodness, hope is so strong. Hope is believing that there's something that we can't quite yet see. Hope requires not only perseverance, but also patience. And this morning's scripture urges us, it calls us, it challenges us to follow peace. Not a worldly peace, but a peace that surpasses all human understanding. To follow means that we are making deliberate, intentional choices and constantly moving toward Jesus. And there are times when we feel hardened or times in which our world seems bleak or dark. But the light of Christ can penetrate the darkness in an amazing way. And in despair I bow my head There is no peace on earth I say For hate is strong and mocks 
There's a woman who was at the shopping mall when the massive snowstorm came in. It threatened to shut down the whole town. It came so fast, seemingly out of nowhere. And so she just assumed that like everyone else, she was going to be trapped at the mall. She had no idea how to get home. She didn't like the thought of driving on ice. And so she saw a big, strong truck in front of her, and she figured that she would place her trust in him. This truck started to move ever so slowly, just starting to creep out of the parking lot. But hey, at least he was moving. So she moved her way right behind him. The snow was fluttering. She couldn't even see what kind of truck it was. What was he delivering? What was he doing? It was dark. She was barely able to see even just a few feet in front of her as the snow kept falling so heavily. She followed him for quite a while. She never got stuck. The truck turned left, and so the lady turned left. After a few moments, the truck turned right, and so the woman following turned right. After doing this for about two and a half hours, it finally dawned on the lady that the entire time she had been following a snowplow. She was following the wrong thing. Sometimes in life, you and I might be guilty of the, the same thing. We, we follow something that we think is going to bring about joy or hope or peace, but it ultimately doesn't. Or maybe we're following something that we think needs to be followed, only to later realize that, no, that was the wrong decision to begin with. We just heard the relatively bleak and dark lyrics from the second stanza of Longfellow's poem. He was in a dark place. He was in a hurting position. But you know what? Even in the midst of penning those words, Longfellow recognized the peace of Christ and the will of God, and he was comforted by the fact that Jesus brings a promise. Jesus Christ, friends, brings us a promise. And I pray that we can believe that this morning. He writes, Then rang the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Friends, as we move through the season of Advent, I pray that we can use this as a time to prepare our hearts and our minds and our lives for the true meaning of Christmas. We were born to experience forgiveness from him and hope in him. No matter what you're facing, God is with you. No matter what uncertainties in life you're going through, through Jesus, God says, we are never left alone. God sent his son, divine but human, to be born in a seemingly ordinary manner to show the immense love that God has for you and for me. Are you allowing Jesus to bring about that peace on earth? What about that peace to your relationships? What about that peace to your family? That peace to your coworkers? What about peace to counter the anxiety or depression that maybe others around you are going through? 
How is God using you as a source of peace for someone else? When our children were born, we obviously went through the typical nine months of pregnancy, but when my daughter was born, it was a little bit different. You see, our son came first. He was born in 2007, a healthy boy straight from the get-go. Over the next four years, my wife would have two miscarriages until finally our daughter was born. I was out in Dallas, Texas. I was working on my doctorate, and I would come home on weekends, and it was a Sunday night. I'd just gotten out to Dallas, and the phone rang, and it said, Joe, Catherine's in really rough shape. Her, ble her, her, her bleeding just won't stop. She started bleeding from a certain body part that the, the, the blood just wouldn't stop. It just kept coming and coming. And she was there at home with our young son, and she was without her husband. She was there with my mother, who was there to kind of help tend to David, our young boy. She was rushed to a nearest hospital, and this was outside of Athens. They said, ma'am, you've got to get to Emory, or you're not going to make it. So they rushed her to Emory. We were praying that our, our daughter wouldn't be born that night. It was only week 21. So I remember that desperate phone call, the tears coming on the other end. I couldn't even talk to Catherine. I was talking to her mom. I said, Joe, we just need you to pray. I know it's 1 o'clock in the morning there. There are no flights that leave until the morning, but as soon as you can, we need you here. But we need everyone you know to be praying for your wife and for your yet-to-be-born daughter. You see, at the time, we knew we were in that season, that season of anticipating a child, but, but all of a sudden that had been turned topsy-turvy. We knew something different was going on. We knew now we would have to wait. And as impatient as I can be, and as difficult as that waiting was, we could still see something beautiful taking place. We saw God tend to Catherine's spirit as the doctors and nurses tended to her weak and frail body. I fully pressed into God the way that I'm always telling my congregation to do. And truly, it was all that I could do. As scary as the predicament was, it was God preparing us Maybe right now God is preparing you for something that you don't quite yet understand, but it's coming around the corner. The Lord's at work in you. Are you willing to be patient? Are you willing to hold out hope, to live with that anticipation and that peace? As we move together through the season of Advent, this is a time to prepare our hearts, our minds, our lives for the true meaning of Jesus Christ. To Isaiah, the, the birth of Jesus, albeit 700 years in the future, was a bold but accurate proclamation of a truth that rang throughout the Old Testament, that endings are not always endings, but new opportunities for God to bring about new opportunities and new beginnings. Then ring the bells more loud and deep God is not dead nor does he sleep The wrong shall fail, the right prevail With peace on earth, good The world revolves. 
peace about three months later when our daughter was finally born she was healthy we almost lost my wife in the process but thank you Jesus that my wife and daughter are both healthy today but during that time the Lord taught us so much we leaned and pressed on him so much and he brought us a deep rooted sense of peace do you feel a sense of peace this morning I, I hope you do because we talk about peace on earth and goodwill toward men but I pray that you can have peace in your own life, peace in your marriage, peace in your relationships, peace in your parenting, in your grandparenting, peace in your neighborhood, peace in all that you do, all that you have, and all that you hope to become. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise of peace, the peace that you bring into this world and the peace and the hope that are comforted toward us even during the toughest of times. Maybe there's someone, Lord, here who has never felt that peace before. They don't know about the hope and the peace that only can come from Christ. May your Holy Spirit, Lord, work in their hearts, allowing them to see the gospel through the lens of your truth. May our lives reflect the glory and may all that we do, all that we have, all that we offer, bring, bring peace and pleasure, Lord, to you and to those around us. Pray that we can be people of peace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 